even I look at some people and I'm like, man, what are you getting so much attention? Not realizing that it's kind of like a lotto and sometimes you get it and sometimes it goes away. There's like expansions and contractions. And I think how you really become an artist is how you write it. You know, it's not the fact that you've made it, that you are getting all the accolades and the likes or that you make the money. It's actually how you kind of like a martial arts survive and keep intact. You are now listening to Via Crayons, the podcast. Extraordinary conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Dan McNichol. Enjoy. This podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. Please review and rate the show by going to podchaser.com slash via crayons the podcast. You can help support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash via crayons. In this episode, we speak to filmmaker Ryan Sikan. Ryan had his first accolade back in 2012 when he won the Tribeca Worldview Pitch Competition at the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival. In 2014, his third short film, How Many Times, was accepted into the Keynes Film Festival's short film corner. He made his advertising commercial direction debut in 2016, working with McCann on the B-Mobile Giraffe Spot which won six gold Addies at the Caribbean Advertising Federation Awards and the Mosaic Award for Diversity at the 4th District American Advertising Awards. Ryan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm pretty amped about it. What I want to start with, Ryan, is who was Ryan Khan as a child? Myself as a child wasn't spectacular or mm. something like that. It was definitely privileged mm-hmm. in a lot of ways my parents were both middle class they found themselves in i suppose the upper middle class when they had us and i grew up in san fernando during the oil boom of the 80s mm. and yeah things were actually really good like mm-hmm. what did your parents do so my mother actually we used to work in the bank well quit the bank mm-hmm. when she had us she became mm-hmm. a homemaker okay it was a housewife right. <laughs> my father was an entrepreneur of the okay. sort what really would have also played a part so I had a good sort of seed planting. Right, got you. But then my parents separated. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was 13, like a preteen. Or mm-hmm. Now going into, actually, no, I was 11. Now I have an older brother and a younger right. sister. In a lot of ways, I guess they both kind of missed probably the worst impact of that. I mean, but it still impacted them. So it was from going into a bubble, mm-hmm. the sort of stark reality. Mm. After that, we had to move to uh, Port of Spain. And yeah, it was different. Let me yeah. tell you. And... Then that was me trying to fit in, I suppose. I think more, so I was more concerned about where do I belong. I think having the separation also had that impact. A lot of turning inward. Uh, I think naturally I was like that. I was always that sort of um, lost in thoughts, daydreaming sort of person. So for that to happen to me caused me to kind of probably go deeper and really figure out why those kind of things. I would definitely say my teen's life uh, wasn't the best. I feel like I went through depression and I don't think there's anything shameful. No, of course not. Uh, yeah, I think we're kind of past it now. It's still a bit tough to talk about because I'm accessing yeah. all those times. Right. But it was definitely a, a depression, which could have been mixed with environment and mm. just what's going on in my body. I think that was a big part, me deciding to do this. Fast forward to becoming an adult, finishing school, not really feeling like I have a purpose in life, you know, in terms of career and 
even relationships, I suppose. After school, I did uh, extra year in Daniels to get more passes. Then I went to the Roy Tech IBCT mm-hmm. course. And then they give you an internship. So I went and worked for some PBX company. They were great people. But as a stock clerk, I didn't see myself there. I guess I do have a sort of ambitious narcissism about myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you know but i guess you need that for being an artist as well right gotta believe mm-hmm. um so yeah so I, I felt like yeah i needed to move on worked at computer planet and that was pretty good actually if if that didn't close down i would probably stay there seriously i mean yeah it was cool it was a lime i mean i didn't feel necessarily fulfilled by my job but right. back then i didn't know about filmmaking so right. that's where i actually felt like i'm right, probably gonna do it also, what was part of the narrative here was that my brother went to university and my father would say, well, you're going to go to university too. Mm-hmm. You know, things got tighter. We went from upper middle class back down to like middle class, probably lower middle class mm-hmm. sort of in terms of income mm-hmm. and how we were counting our money. Right. And I was waiting to be sent away mm-hmm. and it wasn't happening. So I was going to choose IT. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, that's a good thing that didn't happen. So computer plan closed down. I wasn't going to university. So I said, let me just, you know, not wait around. So I had to just work at random places. I worked at um, Southern Sales, which is a car <laughs> sales. I worked at TGI Fridays, waitering. We moved from West Morins at the time to Dago Martin. And in Dago Martin, they had this small company and a sign saying big fish in a blue bottle. We were like, well, what do they do, selfish? You know, <laughs> but at that point, my brother had come back from university, was working for BP and he had done work with them and said, oh, they do video production. So I was like, hey, video production? That's interesting. At that point, I was really on the grind. I was really right. trying to find something. Right. So I walked into the Ian Lee was at the front desk and um, he was like, excuse me, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, um, I heard you all do video production. And Michael Kahn's my brother. I said, oh yeah, I know Mikey. He's like, yeah, I'm interested in getting an internship. And then he kind of looked at me and was like, well, because they're a very small company, right? Kind of like, well, you know, I mean, we don't have internships right now. I was like, well, would you have anything? I was like, well, maybe in a month. It's like, oh, cool. I'll call you back in a month. So I did. I waited one month and I did. And I called yeah. him back. And he's kind of like, well, we don't have anything, but come in anyway. Because he called, because I called back, right? From there, it was just, you know, when you just find something or you fall in love with somebody, he's like, this is it. And then that's the history of it. <laughs> yeah. So what was those early days like? Because obviously you didn't know anything about video production. What was your first task or what were you responsible for when you got in there? What did they give you to do that kept you? Because obviously you fell in love with it. So something had to hold you to say, yeah, this is the thing. And this is what it was. First things I started doing there was Photoshop. Right. I had to rotate okay. scope. I worked in post-production and just did a lot of those sort of medial tasks. And I think it's because of my natural inclination towards computers and art. I picked up software real quick. So that helps. And I think that's, if anything, that's a big takeaway. And for anybody, like whatever you have a inkling of in terms of strength, work on that. Even if it's just like accounts, do accounts and work your way up towards, you know, because that's basically what I've done. From there was a slow sort of like taking on more jobs, doing for right. sort of thing. What made you want to pick up a camera then? So I guess that was always inside of me too from the moment I said I wanted to do this. I had a very vivid imagination about space adventures and all that kind of crap, right? And I think the ability to, I suppose, render these worlds out was mm-hmm. what drew me into it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Animation was probably, like, because that's why I started in. So right. I, I think I was actually going to be more of an animator than pick up the camera. But that's frustrating as hell. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm into <laughs> to technology, but... You know, it's just, it doesn't feel like a language. Right. So, I mean, even though I actually had the inclination, didn't feel like the sort of language I want to speak. And I think filmmaking in general is just a language, right? Um, you know, it's just different 
uh, flavors of it. For me, I, I do an animation, but then it didn't feel right. So uh, I think the first opportunity I had to I got to pick up a camera was because I was also into rock, and I had some friends who came out with like a CD that um you know they were doing like a sort of multimedia mm -hmm. CD, mm -hmm. uh, so they did a little video, not even a music video, it was just like film them liming and things. So I think I asked Walt to borrow the beta. Um, mm -hmm. or Ian one of them maybe it wasn't Walt I think Walt would have said no <laughs> <laughs> I think having that mm -hmm. that probably sparked like, okay cool it felt like technical and, and stuff but I mean even to this day I don't really deal with the camera I can but whenever I do my productions I have a cinematographer and a lot of ways I would love to just focus on directing or editing just like that mm -hmm. alone right mm -hmm. now I kind of double up everybody kind of has to double up and that was kind of the first camera that was just a funny story uh, after that i did do my first music video for orange sky but that was purely an edit so ryan how did your career progress from there after i did the whole um big fashion blue bottle they closed down too as well went on to gael that was more of a video of a role mm -hmm. of shooting and editing right. and then ended up at advanced dynamic because i think at the same time too there was a personal life aspect going on that was again kind of not the happiest and mm -hmm. me still searching for some sort of um, place i belong so england came up back then they were doing the two-year working holiday and i said yeah i'm gonna do that because i had not i didn't get a chance to do university and right. i want to travel and right. just at that point as i said I was into the rock scene. Some partners of mine went across the band called Tripped and Fallen. A month before I went across, they called me up, said, Hey, uh, one of our band members have left. Do you want to come and join? I was like, well, I was coming up there to do film. Okay, why not? Like, it didn't really take me long right. to say, I'm going to just switch careers at this yeah. point. And I suppose it wasn't like a huge jump because it's still creative. creative yeah. I still imagine that I'll be able to do something film wise. Mm -hmm. Part of that story, too, is I didn't really see how I was going to be able to do what I want to do in Trinidad because that would have been 2004 or five, right. right before the explosion in 2008, mm -hmm. I think, of the industry. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Fast forward to um, it not working, coming back, because I was going to try and stay. But then just at that point, Trinidad Tobago Film Company had launched. They put out a application for projects, you know, for any sort of Trinbagonian filmmaker. I was like, cool, I'm going to apply for it. I was definitely reading a lot of graphic novels. So I came up with this sort of uh, a Nancy Spider noir detective story and sent it in and got it. So great, I'm going back to Trinidad, you know, because I got a grant. It was a decent amount for being a first time filmmaker, having not gone film school. For me, the hard part or the learning part wasn't necessarily the execution because I felt like I'd give myself like a solid B or C plus or something like that in terms of the script to the film but managing the money that was the sort of tricky part because they just give you that money and right. then you have to figure out what to do i mean i've had experience mm. with doing productions and spending money and working on other people's commercials right. and seeing how things are spent yeah. so that helped i wouldn't necessarily say i made the best decisions mm -hmm. but uh i made i think the most competent ones for my experience i might be a little bit too critical of myself but the point is that uh Film company liked it so much that they wanted me to give give me another grant. So, all right, you need to apply for this other one, which is an equity fund. All right, so it was more money, but this time they owned a piece of it. So I was kind of their guinea pig. I, it's not that I didn't know that. I, I think a lot of people saw me as some sort of poster boy for the TTFC. And I honestly, as my, many things, there was no conspiracy. I was just like, a, there was a sort of wave that I was riding. I think it happens with a lot of people. It's, it's kind of- In, in it's, whatever field. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I just need to say that out loud because I think even I look at some people and they're like, man, what are you getting so much attention? Not realizing that it's kind of like a lotto and sometimes you get it and sometimes it goes away. And I think that's kind of what's happening to me. Right now, it, it, it comes is like expansions and contractions. And I think how you really become an artist is how you write it. You know, it's not the fact that you've made it, that you are getting all the accolades and the likes or that you make the money. It's actually how you kind of like a martial arts survive and 
keep intact. Second short film, Darisha Beresford. She actually reached out to me as a producer. So I was like, cool. She was actually a big help. And I mean, I also have to thank the other people who worked on my first short film as well. Brent Webster, you know, all the actors. Yeah, I don't want to turn this into an award. Right. <laughs> thank you. But uh, I mean, just know I am appreciative. Yeah. I really can't do anything without you guys. Tineo, Noalo. But you've been supportive. So, I mean, I'm definitely talking about it like it was just all me, but it wasn't. Definitely collaborative, definitely figuring out stuff together. What is your creative process like? So, in a lot of ways, I think I actually start with the edits in terms of how I actually direct stuff. I always come up with, I guess, the what it's going to look like in my head and then work backwards. I definitely took a very analytical, mm -hmm. pragmatic approach. Um, I never went to film school. So, in a lot of ways, I had to reverse engineer mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. I mean, and I think it helped that I had hands-on experience. Uh, I definitely don't want to like create the, you know, idea that I was a genius yeah. and I yes. just yeah. walked in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, I definitely took a lot of learning and mm -hmm. trying and feeling. I've definitely grown a lot from then. And I realized that I used to think a lot about the concept itself. And as you get older, you kind of go like, mm, that isn't actually why people watch stuff. It's actually the emotional content. So I think my process wasn't really good is what I'm trying to say right. initially. And it's grown. <laughs> no, well, I would say to you that it's probably not the fact that it wasn't good. It was where you were at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So you've grown now. So you, you expect a little more of yourself. I, yeah, I mean, there's... I think I've also gotten a little bit lazy too. But I mean, mm -hmm. that's another, I guess, where I was going to reach in terms of where I'm now. That to me, I've actually kind of gotten really good at my process. And that's because I do a lot more commercials. From your point of view, would you consider your short films to be successful? So in terms of doing the short films, I think they were, they were definitely success in terms of getting a budget, executing it, not going over budget, not screwing over anybody. You know, like everybody's paid, happy. Maybe there's a little grumbles here and there, but you know, when it's a large production, I felt like it was cool. Nobody came up to me and was like, boy, you really messed up on thing. Eh? You know, like it was always like, cool, we did a good job. I think the real um, success story was when i did the kiss stress away video mm. right where oh, it was a cool. mad hatter yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. Cool. yeah because i actually didn't want to do it you know um, when i say i didn't want to do it i wanted to do a music video for kiss but i wanted to do another song that was a question mark entertainment and they reached out to me as well as well as i grew up with kiss in south but first off i was like you'll show me want to do this video i prefer the other one where you're from you know i really want to do where you're from i was like nah nah we want to push stress away stress away is more like the soca monarch thing we're gonna push so i was like all right cool, cool. So once I kind of got past the not getting what I want, <laughs> saying, cool, I still want to do a video for you guys. Um, and I'm up for the challenge. I think this is a great opportunity. So it's a bit of a blur, so I can't remember everything. But all I know is that I didn't really expect it to be what it was. Right. I just did the best. I also teamed up with Oliver Milne for the right. first time. That was mm -hmm. also a key part of the thing because he was his own filmmaker. And it was great. After that, I did a music video for a competition with Stone Temple Pilot or Blackheart that really resonated with kit bradford she was a producer at mccann saw it was like see we should hire these guys to do commercials for us at that point that was my entry into the commercial world that's when i turned to the dark side <laughs> i've been directing my own words and um yeah i also edit and stuff because i mean i think that phase would really uh, signify the sort of people respect me as a director you know i am a filmmaker because i would probably say i can do not just directing but editing too which is like yeah a skill set that i hire out for people as well 
it's about collaboration and being able to put yourself in a place where people want to work with you. And you mentioned that at that time, you were also struggling in a personal sense. So my question is then, how were you able to manage being able to bring your best self to the work when you yourself wasn't your best self, if that makes any sense to you? You know, that is a damn good question. (laughs) That just went from zero to a hundred. It is, I think, something that even up to now I still battle with. You just get better at it. Yeah, you're collaborating. You have your personal stuff going on. This industry and career is somewhat like you can't separate the two. You are bringing yourself a lot more than other. It's not a nine to five. Uh, So I think you kind of, I don't want to say you're built for it. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people who also, they persevere and they aren't nice people on set of the man. They're just themselves. I think the best thing to do is just be yourself. That's probably the best. Because I'm, in some ways, motivating myself is either through, you know, um, nature or nurture. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I think I always stuck to what was true. There's a lot of times I wanted to go down like a sort of dark, um, petty alley. Right. right? Yeah. And I probably have taken a little, like, a walk in. Yeah, like yeah. a little walk yeah. into yeah. that alley, yeah. but I'm not full going down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Stay true to yourself, I think, is because even if, you know, other filmmakers, I think, um, are good, but they have their own way of doing stuff where they're more aggressive and just like, yeah, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that's their brand and that's how they get stuff done. And I think that's what works for them. So in terms of the purse, how do you separate it? You can't. I don't think you can. I think you just have to accept it, um, wear it, uh, and have forgiveness i suppose forgiveness is probably the only thing that you can bring to the table so even if you get vexed with someone and cuss them out probably reach out to them and say look i'm sorry mm-hmm. you know um as opposed to always being right however if you're always being walked on stand up or leave and then if that person comes back to you and says man i'm sorry accept the apology right try not to hold on to it i think is the best thing you could do got you how important is it for you to be accepted by others as it relates to your creative ability or the things that you bring to the world in a creative space it means nothing and everything <laughs> tell me what you mean yeah i mean no that was just being um uh an idiot about that as a kind of oxymoron it's like bipolarism i suppose right yeah i think it's that is also a, I, I think a balance you have to strike because we, we we're not looking to make films in a vacuum eh? to make a film you need money we're gonna have to pay for that so unless you're rich and just making films for yourself to watch in your own room i'd like to see that film <laughs> <laughs> link me up but i want to see what i was like we are doing this for the sake of our connections mm-hmm. you know and how we you know communicate and interact with people so you need it for sure it is a asset or commodity you know the ability to be liked, the ability to, you know, resonate with people, but can't let it rule your life. It's one of those things that you have to measure. And again, stick to what you know, because God alone knows I kind of, you know, watch something that I make and go like, boy, nobody watching it. And then at the same time too, some things I do make and people, it just goes viral. And I'm just like, uh, okay, cool. Thanks. Bye everybody. You know, like I don't want to interact. I don't yeah. want to like stand up there and soak it all in. Right for fear of somebody interacting with me and be like, man, I don't like this man, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do enjoy creation. I do enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. I love filmmaking and the people involved too. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of conduct my productions, you know. Because I don't think I'll ever reach a point where I'll put myself or the project above the person that's working. So for example, when you're working late with actors and you're pushing, you know, 
Like I, I wouldn't be like, like, come, we had to do this like a hundred more times and they've fallen down. And I've heard those stories in terms of film yeah, where they've been sure. people's lives. Uh, it's not worth it for me, especially now on this day where there's so much content out there. Am I going to risk a life just for my own ego and project? I mean, there's the idea of like the project is everything, but I kind of, maybe that's why I'll never super make it, but that's something I'm at peace with because of the fact that we do do what we do for the sake of humanity and connection. And, and it's a bonus if you actually make it big where yes. you can live in a mansion, but it's not the root of it, right? Are there people that you look to to draw inspiration from, whether local or foreign? I'm self-aware of the fact that, uh, oh, I'm aware, sorry, that I grew up on Hollywood films, 80s films especially. I think I discovered this through filmmaking as well, like in terms of my later work, like why would I frame something like this or why... I, I'm interested in this kind of light to find that, oh, there's actually a correlation between this and like a lot of 80s films from Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, like Back to the Future, John Hughes, those kind of things. But obviously, you're much like anything else. As a person who talks, you learn more vocabulary. Mm -hmm. In fact, there was a point where I was into films, but I wasn't aware of directors per se. <laughs> I mean, I knew they were directors, but I wasn't following like, who did this? Who did that? Right. right. But definitely, I was always drawn to David Fincher's work because he had this grunge, dark sort of thing where he did Seven, Panic Room. Um, I mean, he did Alien 3 as well. So those kind of influences, I think, are these sort of low-hanging fruit because they're in your face. Other than that, yeah, we'd go deeper into, like, sort of more Asian-based filmmakers. Mm. Japanese anime has influenced me, too. I think I'm fairly set into the whole, I guess, my brand in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's fully locked in, but it is that sort of Trinidadian version of Hollywood, 80s Hollywood with a tinge of darkness. So there's some, like, remember, like, looking at Ghostbusters and, or even Back to the Future. And it was like, it was funny, but it wasn't like laugh out loud funny. It was entertaining. Right. So I think I kind of taking that and then going a little further with darkness mm -hmm. because that's kind of also Caribbean nature. So as much as I saw a lot of positivity, there's a lot of darkness that we ignore. And like, I think my filmmaking is that way of dealing with that. Mm. To be honest, it's like I can't see it. And I think mm. Trimbigons are naturally like that. We can't really talk about it. Just like how we can't, like in family ways, talk about that sort of elephant yeah. in the room. But filmmaking is that place where you can kind of like express that. Right. And that's why it's very important for art for a lot of people in, in our country. Mm. And there's a lot of people who are living in states of dysfunction where art could really help them deal mm. with that. So art, very important in that regard. Has rejection ever affected your creative process? Yes, but um, I think more positive than negative. I think the only thing is you get that rejection, you know, whether it be, I suppose you do a commercial or you do a project and it doesn't receive sort of like, you know, likes, attention you feel like it deserves, or maybe even like tendering for something and it didn't choose you. But I think for me, at least, it's a sort of fight or flight. You kind of just like, cool, am I going to sit down and throw a pity party or push myself to do more? Sometimes I throw myself a little bit more of a pity party than, mm -hmm. like, I, I probably do sit down a little bit more. It depends, I guess, where I'm at. When you have your personal life, yeah. you know, involved, you can't really control. Sometimes I'm able to get over it real quick. And sometimes I probably spend a good, like, week just bummed out. Has that ever caused you to doubt the talent that you have? Uh, interestingly, no. I mean, I think, I don't want to sound like I'm just, re like, going into autopilot mode. But in some ways, there is an autopilot mode. Or at least there's a process in which I trust. Right. I feel like because of, I haven't really done anything significantly different, like, from stress away to commercials. I've been using pretty much the same process. Right. Maybe a couple small Tweaks. things mm -hmm. would change. But I've been pretty much using that same process. And I do give it 110%. I think the only time I'd really reevaluate the process, um, even in the light of negativity, is if, I'm not getting work anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if it is, I'm actually yeah. not 
resonating with people. In a lot of ways, you're supposed to pay attention to the negativity and, you know, in that aspect. I would say you can't totally ignore it or try to like fight it. You kind of have to accept it. Sometimes you'll do it long, sometimes you won't. But if it is, you're constantly there. I think that's something else you have to look into. Doubt your process, but change it too. Mm -hmm. You know, I think is usually the case. Change it within your own, like how you do your stuff. It comes back to what you said earlier about being yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, and knowing yourself and just being that. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing you should really be trying different, I think, is probably maybe the type of story you're telling or, you know, the medium or, you know, in other words, because there's so many different ways to tell stories now. So, I mean, for me, if things actually go dry, well, I'm already trying to go back into um, more short film, feature film, because that's always been the goal. Uh, there's a lot of good stories out there where people who wanted to do one thing ended up doing another thing. For example, like I, this video game maker, Hideo Kojima, who did Metal Gear. He wanted to be a filmmaker, right? But got an opportunity in video games and now he's one of the biggest video game makers, you know? I, I wasn't quite aware of that bit of him because I used to play Metal Gear. But within that, you also see the filmic nature of the game itself. Correct. That, that's why I brought up a yeah. reference. I mean, that, that's to me what I would put forth to people when I say evaluate and then make a change because it's not necessarily like you have to change yourself, but you have to just try something different in sort of environment. It's always about environment, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say like things like that because that's what I would do. I would actually go into VR or AR and try something there. What is your ultimate creative goal mm -hmm. if you have such and how attainable do you think it is? So I, I can see more of a vision than a goal. I mean, there's goals I have. One goal I had was to actually do my feature film by age 30 and guess mm -hmm. what? I'm 38. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, it's not a race. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously I could definitely be upset about that but i've also done a lot of commercials in that time that you know i didn't just sit down and do nothing i was actually i guess honing my craft in a different way so there's still like the feature film that's one thing that's on my checklist because it was always the reason i got into it and i don't know especially this day and age this so saturated out there right in terms of how much content and yeah. films and technology making these beautiful films for very cheap how am i supposed to really like make a, a impact or anything like that? but then again don't know because it's not there so gotta try you know so i'm i'm I definitely gonna try and do it my own way though that's the thing i don't feel like some people have the impression that you make the film and you're gonna make it right. um and they kind of like steamroll over everybody that being said my overall vision really and truly is actually adding and help shaping the local film industry even if i were to move away part of me wants to i don't know what pass your form just having added to this industry in a way where we are actually fully functioning, you know, because there's been many incarnations and there's a lot of people involved in our industry that, you know, you would have heard of like, you know, Christopher Laird or the Bruce Paddingtons and Walt and all those guys that have been here for a while, Dana Defantala, and they started something that we are benefiting from. And I'm seeing a new group of filmmakers like the Maya Koziers and Shari Petty, and they are actually benefiting from what we did but at the same time too they don't owe us anything you know because i benefited from the sort of path mm -hmm. that my predecessors mm -hmm. cut and I, I cut a little bit more of the path mm -hmm. and they're taking up the mantle and they're doing it their own way i don't want to make it sound like we give yeah. it to them they yeah. earn it yeah. in, you know but we are getting further you know because of all of us i guess the frustrating thing if i am gonna put some negative into this is definitely been the sort of expansion and contraction of this industry and i've talked to many artists about it and it's frustrating to the point where it, it, it could break you you know because the thing about it is that this is like a cake where you have the right ingredients best quality but if you don't get the temperature right you can either bust mm -hmm. or implode i think we'd suffer from implosion a lot so 
I wish that it would not be so volatile. It'd be more stable. stable. That's kind of what I want to work towards. And I don't know what capacity I'll take. I don't know if it'll be that I'll be like, a, you know, running my own uh, studio or post house or maybe be based away and send work down here. The Caribbean and Trinidad will always be in my mind. And in some ways, I guess I have multiple steps because to me, it's actually about being the Caribbean as a film market. That's actually part of it too. That's the only way we're really going to be able to because they have great filmmakers up the islands, you know. Um, starting with Jamaica, come down all the way to Grenada. They have people with voices that they will look to us more than they will. In fact, they're kind of like, everybody thinks they should be looking away to the States. But when we can be more of our guiding light and in some ways, some filmmakers have come to take advantage of that. But like uh, Maria Govan from the Bahamas, you know, she made her second feature with our funding and she had a trend out and producer and it was a great film, Play the Devil. So in a lot of ways, we are kind of a little bit too all over the place where we could just be harnessing it, being stable and becoming the, the beacon of filmmaking within the region. Along your journey, Brian, were there any pieces of advice that you may have received from somebody or read somewhere or whatever the case is that you still use today? I think one is maybe Robert McKee, Show Don't Tell. I'm probably saying it wrong. Robert McKee, is a, he has his books on script writing. So a lot of what he talks about is how you actually write the script, theory and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he would definitely be like, you know, don't have a character say he wants to go over there or that he wants to look inside of a fridge. Just do like, he looks inside the fridge. So in other ways, your character shouldn't be saying what he wants to do. I think in some ways I kind of embodied that into my whole life. We could always say, yeah, I'm going to be the best filmmaker. Or I'm going um, to be there for you. That doesn't really matter or it doesn't matter as much as actually showing that you're going to do those things. Because the power of act and showing really means a lot. Ryan, it's been a fascinating conversation. Tell us where we could find some of your work, all that kind of stuff. Great. Oh, we're coming to an end, boy. I was like ready to um, get more coffee and... No, Dano, thank you very much. It's been a really great conversation. As I told you before, I could real talk. You could get, find my stuff at Ryan Sican Films on the web where you could see my latest works and you could contact me through email. And then, yeah, I mean, from Ryan Sican Films website, you could get to all my other social medias. Hey, my name's Ryan Sican, and in a big box of crayons, I would be overthinking orange. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. We Are Crayons, the podcast, is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, remember, we are all the same and the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful and thank you for listening.